Well, hello, and welcome to our interview series. I'm Warren Howard from Howard Co. Business and HR Solutions. We help our clients to build sustainable and high-performing organisations. Well, today, it's my great pleasure to be joined by Christopher Shen. Uh, Christopher Shen is um, a great friend of mine and a colleague. Christopher is a psychologist, a trainer and a coach. And uh, Chris and I have done quite a bit of work together and Chris has helped a number of my clients with great feedback. I really enjoy my chats with Christopher and I'm really looking forward to this one. Our purpose is to really explore the issues that are impacting businesses and organisations today, particularly from the human perspective. So Christopher, hi, how are you? Hello, Warren. I'm outstanding. How are you today, please? Very well, mate, and all the better for knowing that we're going to have a, a fun conversation here between the two of us. Indeed, indeed. I'm very gleeful. <laughs> very good. Well, that's a great start. So, Chris, um, you know, in your job, you do get to see and get again insight into work and the way people work and, you know, how they feel about their work from both an employer and an employee perspective. So really interested to explore with you, in particular, today's topic, which is moving on. And, and we chose moving on because, you know, of the experiences of last year, of 2020, when work was highly disrupted. I know in 2021 and the clients and people whom I talk to, they're also keen now to just get going, okay, to move on, re reinvigorate and regenerate businesses and really start to get some momentum. So we're talking about moving on. So let's start with the first question. So in your professional capacity, Chris, as a psychologist and a trainer and a coach, and you've spoken to a lot of people during 2020 and no doubt earlier this year as well, what were some of the challenges that people, whether they be employers or employees, faced as a result of the impact of COVID and lockdowns on their work? What were some of those challenges? Thank you, Warren. In my experience during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially with the lockdown that we experienced, uh, you and I are based in Victoria, uh, yet also with some of my uh, international and uh, national uh, patients and clients, there was a great degree of debilitating anxiety, uh, anxious distress, uh, also, uh, a great sense of disempowerment uh, experienced amongst my clients and, and, and patients, whether they be employees, whether they be business owners or employers or managers of people. Uh, that anxious distress and disempowerment uh, has continued into 2021, yet I'm very pleased to attest that with the, uh, as of this recording, uh, with the recent commencement of the vaccination rollout in Australia, there in, already appears to be much more hopefulness. Mm. So there's a sign of promise now, moving from distress and anxiety now to positive anticipation, which, which is such a wonderful thing to hear. 
Can we talk about resilience, Chris? Because I know this is a topic that you're very passionate about. You've even written a book on it, haven't you? I, I, I have. Thank you. I, Do you uh, want to give it a plug? What's it called? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to give a shameless plug. Uh, the book is uh, actually, funnily enough, I have a copy right here, <laughs> which is uh, Wrestling with Resilience, uh, which I co-authored with my PhD supervisor, Associate Professor Simon Moss. My, my current PhD and long-suffering uh, PhD studies are examining the uh, effect of resilience training on individuals uh, in organisations facing challenges. And with respect to your very, very good question, the reason I'm very passionate about resilience is that it is a mediating attribute or factor which allows us to be able to face and cope with and hopefully master uh, robust challenges such as uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So Chris, you know, use resilience. How can, how can people draw on resilience to help them move on in 2021? Uh, given that we no doubt we'll, we'll face some disruptions this year. We don't know what they are, but no doubt they will come up. How, how, how can we draw on resilience to help us cope with change? Thank you. Uh, Warren, with respect to your very good question, uh, I'll answer that in two ways. The first is, generally speaking, when we face both predictable and unexpected challenges into the future, we can draw upon resilience, which is our capacity to be able to regain composure and instill positivity when facing challenges. So we can draw upon that through uh, previous experiences and, and positive performance accomplishments, which can create a sense of confidence or assurance. And we can also undertake uh, some practical skills and activities that can restore our positivity. Uh, in a much more specific way, there are evidence-based techniques and practical strategies that individuals can accrue and learn and undertake that are demonstrated to enable them to cope with and master difficult circumstances, situations and people. So, Chris, that's, that's really interesting because you're saying that people can actually learn to become more resilient. It's not just not something necessarily we inherently have. We can actually learn it as a skill. Indeed, indeed. Uh, like with many temperamental and personality attributes, there is a, a natural normal distribution of uh, capacity within people in a population. Some people will have really strong, naturally developed resilience and, and what performance psychologists like to call mental toughness, mm -hmm. Warren, whereas others may not have been born with or developed or been uh, entrained or instructed in techniques or strategies or experiences which have developed natural resilience. Yet if they're coachable, uh, then they can certainly successfully learn and accrue practical tips and strategies which can successfully help them be resilient. And one of the, the key factors there, as you will no doubt 
recognize acutely with your experience as a coach is the coachableness, uh, the coachability of the individual. Thank you, Chris. I think that's very reassuring for everyone. Now, we talk about experiences then. Uh, one of the experiences of 2020, of course, was working from home. Uh, very suddenly, everyone had to shift. And this is back in March of 2020, very quickly shift from, in many cases, an office-based environment to one where they were working um, in a disconnected way from home. But for the most part, we adjusted. People did adjust. And our communications had to adjust with it. And we got used to doing things like we're doing now, talking on Zoom, talking on Teams, talking more talking on the phone than talking face-to-face. -face. What I felt was, and this was a positive, that our communications became a little bit more human. We were all of a sudden talking to people in their own homes, in their natural environments. Um, our, we started to let, dress less formally. Um, you know, we relaxed a bit more. I know if I look back at you know, how I was dressing at the beginning of March last year and how I'm dressing now for my interactions, I've certainly become more casual. But with that, I think it's helped break down some of the barriers in a strange way, even though we've introduced another one. I think our communications have become a little bit more human. Do you, would you agree with that? Or what was your observations about how we communicated? Thank you, Warren. I, uh, I uh, can attest to your uh, greater familiarity and comfort. Uh, uh, I was shocked to see you not wear a tie this morning when we... Uh, I, no, I joke, I withdraw that, Warren. Uh, you look very comfortable and very, very smart. Uh, yet, yet as, as a wry observation, uh, absolutely, I agree with you. I absolutely agree. I uh, firmly believe that the use of video conferencing technology has created a sense of familiarity, especially because the user and the recipient are often comfortable at home uh, and safe. Because remember, we're still in a global pandemic. Uh, um, True. So I absolutely agree with your uh, deductive hypothesis. Knowing that, of course, people are individuals, I also disagree at the same time. And that uh, is based on observations that some people, some Australians uh, have and face difficult circumstances at home. Uh, and that might not be something sinister. It might be something uh, practical like uh, several siblings and parents all jammed into and trying to all work and study uh, in a very, very small environment. And so... Uh, getting on each other's nerves and space might become an issue. Uh, being able to, uh, as a parent, uh, as as uh, I know you uh, belovedly are, uh, being able to uh, parent whilst also conducting work at home might be difficult. And then, of course, there are those individuals who are isolated. They live by themselves uh, and they have been experiencing... Uh, great isolation and loneliness, and they've not enjoyed uh, working or studying or operating from home. Thank you, Christopher. I think that, you know, give us some insight into the different circumstances that people faced and had to manage while working Indeed. from home. Thank yeah. you. So, all right, let's go back to your 
other favorite topic, wrestling. <laughs> okay. So there is an issue that employers and employees are wrestling with right now, and that is returning to the workplace. So while, while it was disruptive to have everyone working from home, we got used to it. And, and now, of course, we have the opportunity to start migrating back to the workplace where people wouldn't normally work in an office, for example. That seems to be posing challenges for people on bus, from both perspectives, from the employer's perspective and the employee's perspective. Um, the employers obviously have a desire to have people back in the office. They see that's where collaboration takes place and teamwork takes place. Uh, at the same time, there would be some employees now who, for whatever reason, are feeling more comfortable working from home and would prefer to do that. So we haven't reached the answer yet. Uh, there's talk of you know, the hybrid workplace, but we don't actually have a formula for what that looks like. People are actively working on that right now. Indeed. So what advice have you got to help people who are going through this exercise at the moment of trying to think about you know, how can we arrive at that, that best solution for, for everyone, for the workplace, the employer and the employee uh, when, we, when we return to work? Thank you, Warren. You mentioned the hybrid model, that is uh, employers creating a workplace where employees and team members are able to, in a week, work some days from uh, the workplace and then some days from home, staying networked in and also by uh, telephone and so forth. And indeed, there's uh, even uh, complexities being devised at the moment of that hybrid model that perhaps a certain percentage or chosen uh, essential number of roles in a workplace might spend more time uh, in a workplace because of the nature of his, her or their role uh, and others might be able to spend more time working from home. So uh, certainly I, I uh, am aware that this is currently being devised by many different employees and many different professions and industries. With respect to your very good question, uh, I gently urge employers to consider two important and urgent factors. The first is safety, uh, and that means a workplace and also uh, the environment in which their employees and team members are working in at home to be safe uh, and that safety in in all senses from uh, injuries and accidents and illness all the way to the overarching COVID-19 consideration. So safety is, is my first uh, consideration that I urge uh, or recommend to consider. And the second is around psychological comfort uh, and mental health in as much as, as you described really nicely, for any number of reasons, uh, some people feel much more comfortable working from home now. Uh, others are looking greatly to return to the workplace. And once again, that normal distribution of, of uh, individual difference uh, applies here. Uh, so I, as that second factor, encourage employers to consider the mental health of uh, their people. And one of the best ways to foster mental health is to keep people informed. Uh, so to share constant 
prevalent regular information about this is uh, what we're considering, these are some options, survey the workforce, uh, and that evokes a sense of uh, engagement that uh, people uh, genuinely feel that their viewpoints and their considerations are being taken into account in decision-making, uh, and also to provide employee assistance program support for anybody who uh, is feeling uncertainty all the way up to emotional distress as we look into this unknown, ambiguous environment. Christopher, thank you. You've really introduced some I think, really important considerations there. That they are, you know, both the practical around safety and the personal or human side around the psychological elements. You know, the way I look at it, Chris, too, is, you know, we're all part of this new social work experiment at the moment. There, you know, we have to accept that we're in a situation where there isn't a predefined answer because we haven't done this before. Indeed. This is taking workplace flexibility to a new level, one that we hadn't contemplated in the past and we've had to do it quite quickly. So I think we should be uh, kind to ourselves and accept that there isn't going to be one magic answer that uh, we, we should be all striving to find. It's going to be a process. And an important part of that process is, is about the two-way communication that will enable everyone to start uh, understanding each other's point of view around what, what the new world of work looks like. Uh, but also that's part of the process is migrating towards what that, that new vision will look like. Uh, very, <clears throat> very optimistic about it. I really do think this is a wonderful opportunity for us all to be grasping to come up with a, you know, a model that will create, you know, performance at a, in a different way. Performance, not just in terms of results, but also creating environments where people can actually perform at their best. Indeed, indeed. A third factor, uh, just as you were very uh, wisely uh, musing there about the the need for uh, us to understand that this is all new. Uh, it's been over 100 years since the last global pandemic. Uh, we won't be returning to a COVID normal. Things will never be the same again. And, and that third factor, therefore, I believe is important for employers to consider with their teams is empathy, is being empathetic and seeking to understand what their valued team members are going through and some of the, the concerns, their uh, beliefs, and also what are the considerations that their workforce and their customers and their stakeholders and their supply chain providers, anything and everyone uh, are going through and considering and and a healthy application of empathy will also engender trust in the recipients. Wonderful words, Chris. Well, you've answered my five questions uh, brilliantly. I always knew this is going to be a you know, really fantastic engagement, great conversation, um, and just a continuation of the great conversations we normally have. So firstly, I want to thank you Chris, for sharing your insights and your ideas, your humour, uh, and your wonderful vocabulary. I've learned some new words today. <laughs> and, uh, and again, thank you for giving us your time. 
I do hope that anyone who's watching this uh, has taken something from this that we helpful uh, for them to apply in their own organisation and workplace. Well done, mate. Thank you, Warren. I've enjoyed our discussion and I'd love to do it again. Me too. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. Virtual fist bump. Kaboom! <laughs>